hug you, you and I, we were meant to be free. And now God invites you to a soul-shaking, chain-breaking, life-giving adventure with your closest friends. We will share our stories of struggle and okay. bravely explore the uncharted places <laughs> of our soul. We will do this together and promise one another we won't stop until we are free. Liberation awaits. Today, freedom calls out your name. This is the way, the new way to be free. you're interested in joining us in small groups, we'll have small groups tonight at five o'clock. Child care is here. Uh, if you would like to, to be hooked up with one, let me know after church and I'll get you at uh, directions, address, phone number, all of that stuff to get you hooked up. Next week, we start a sermon series and I'm a little bit live there. Can you turn that down just here? Thank you. Uh, we're going to start a sermon series and a small group study called Freeway, the Not-So-Perfect Guide to Freedom. And, and everybody needs one of these. You don't have to have one, but you're going to get so much more out of the study if you have one of these. They're $15 a piece. They're available back here. If you can't afford that, just let me know, and, and we'll make sure that you get one. Um, we're going to talk about how you can have freedom from your past. And, and it starts with the grace of God, but it also, um, what contributes to you becoming free is getting involved in the church, not just on Sunday mornings, but getting some people that you connect with on a regular basis that, that you do life with. Um, and, and God, we just, uh, I was thinking of Joe's prayer. He said that last week. He said, God, we need people to do life with. And, and that's, God never intended for you to be alone. He didn't intend for man to be alone in the Garden of Eden, and he didn't intend for you to be alone. And small groups are a place that you can connect and fellowship. You can worship in here in a crowd like this. There's a good crowd today. But you can't fellowship until you get in a smaller group and you look at each other eyeball to eyeball. You pray together. You, you study God's word. You, uh, it's just small groups to me is one of my favorite things. I love worship. I love corporate worship. Um, went to youth camp way back in the day and fell in love with corporate worship. This was back before we had good Christian music. Actually, there wasn't anything called Christian music back then. If you added drums to a hymn, that was it when I went to youth camp. And uh, so I've loved worship. I love corporate worship. It's where we get excited. Worship the Lord and serve him only. But then you need fellowship. There's actually five things you need. Worship, evangelism, which is telling people about Jesus. Worship, evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. You need five things to be a healthy Christian. We need five things to be a healthy church. And fellowship is vital. All right. Get a book and get plugged into a group. Now, today, because this is one of those deals that God actually changed my plans, because um, when I heard what Joe was preaching about a couple of weeks ago before I went on, on the cruise, I started thinking and praying about today, and God actually changed what I was going to share today. Because he talked about grace, because Joe talked about grace and, and um, gave us this introduction, I wanted to do this kind of as a bookend to his two sermons on grace and so some of today, the very first two things on your listening guide are going to be review from what Joe said, um, but then we're going to d dive into grace just a little bit deeper. One of my favorite, favorite movies is Les Miserables. Say Miserables. 
Yeah, say French accent. Les Miserables. Just say Les Mis. That's all right, East Texas. Les Mis. It works, okay? Uh, now, not the singing version. Somebody's saying, oh, yeah, I knew it was you, Jamie. I knew it would be Jamie. See, I'm a, I'm a church music major. I went to all that stuff. I had to go to, I had to, go to recitals every semester you had to go to so many recitals and you had to have this signed and, and so I've heard the big I've, I've sung um, Handel's Messiah I've sung it with with a 300 voice choir with with special soloists coming from all over the world I've done all that and I don't want to listen to a whole movie and singing so this one is the 1998 version all right and this has Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson in it and he's one of my favorite actors and so anyway I want you to watch this first part because This movie is all about grace. It begins with an unbelievable act of grace. It ends with grace. And I want you to watch what happens to Jean Valjean is the main character. He's a criminal. He's just gotten out of prison. I want you to watch what happens when he receives mercy and grace in this first clip. Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday, or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You're going to let me inside your house. crime did you commit? Maybe I killed some. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years. And now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man.
Is anybody there? want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam, you know, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. I love the bishop in this movie. The quote is, I've ransomed you from fear and hatred, now I give you back to God. Anyone here need to be ransomed from fear, hatred, anger, bitterness? Anyone? You got any of that in your past? Yeah, a few of you are being honest. (laughs) Um, Valjean didn't get what he deserved. And and really, you need to have... To understand two words, Joe talked about these two weeks ago. This is going to hit this real quickly and then move on. The first word, if you're going to understand Christianity, is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And by the way, if you have a smartphone, you can, you can log on to version. if you have the, the Bible app on your phone. And uh, all of our notes are on version as well. If you don't know about that, talk to me afterwards and I'll show you where to get that. It's awesome. I've got several different versions uh, of Scripture on my phone. And so I can pull those up anytime, anywhere in the world and, and have Scripture with me because I always have my phone with me. Um, mercy is not getting what you deserve. What did Val- Valjean deserve? After the kindness that the bishop showed him, he fed him, gave him a bed to sleep in. Um, How did Valjean repay his kindness? By stealing from him. Now, had this happened to you and me, we probably wouldn't have been so understanding, right? Um, Not only did the bishop willingly give him um, a place to sleep, but then he gives him extra stuff too. But, But let's say this happens to us. How many of you would want him to go back to jail? 
he should rot in jail, the sorry maggot. Right? Now, maybe you wouldn't be that bad. But if you were that kind and you had somebody come in your home and then they rob from you and they assault you, are you going to feel like being nice to them? Come on. Let's be honest and real today. Anyone? 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 Now, maybe when God gets a hold of your heart, yes. But, but what I'm saying is the normal, the natural is to respond and want justice. Mercy does not give justice. Mercy does not give uh, what you deserve. Now, the second thing he got, though, was grace. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. All right, he stole the spoons. He was totally shocked when he came back and the, and the bishop said, yes, I gave him to him, but here's the candlesticks. Joe talked about getting a ticket from, from a police officer and, and mercy is not, not getting that ticket if you're 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. And then he said, can you imagine, and, and I want Officer Baker to do this next time he pulls me over, but to bring you $50 back, he's just gonna give you a warning and give you $50 for going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. I would love that. Yeah, I think that's the new... Pal- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up at the city council meeting tomorrow and propose that um, in the midst of all the other discussions going on. Uh, the candlesticks were an extravagant gift to give to a friend, right? 2,000 francs, a lot of money. It's an unheard of gift to give to an enemy. And that's what grace is. So you need to understand... There's three things about grace I want you to to take out of today's message. Number one, grace stuns the recipient. You remember Valjean's face whenever he heard the news? It looked like he'd been kicked in the gut, right? Because he did not deserve it. He was being overwhelmed with kindness from the bishop. Now, I've got a couple of questions I want you to think about as uh, as we read this scripture. Do you remember the last time that you received extravagant grace? And when's the last time you gave extravagant grace? You gave to someone something they did not deserve. If you've ever experienced it, it will change you. Look at these verses. Romans 3.24 in the message translation says this. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity puts us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what sheer generosity God offers you? He takes you from the mess that you and I make because we're sinners. We're all sinners. We all have a past. I think that's why I like this movie so much. Every one of us has a past. We tend to put on masks, though, when we go to church and pretend it's not there. We pretend we've got it all together. True fellowship and true spiritual growth happens when we bring everything out into the light. And and you don't have to do that in front of everybody, but you need to do it with somebody if you're going to be healed from your past. Everybody's got a past. And every week we have the opportunity to show grace, extravagant Christ-like grace to people who walk in the doors out here. Because what we said 12 years ago when we started New Life, we said we want to reach people who are far from God. People who are far from God are messy. And, and quite honestly, a lot of the churches I grew up in, people who were far from God were not welcome in the church. You had to dress a certain way. You had to smell a certain way. You sure couldn't have body piercings or body art. You'd be of the devil in some of the churches I grew up in. Women could not wear pants in the church I grew up in. We had all kinds... I remember discussions. I was six when we left that church. Praise God, we left that church when I was six. Because I remember discussions, big church meeting discussions. Women shouldn't have short hair and men shouldn't have long hair. And I told you all about, we discussed about the makeup and, and praise God, the, the, the pastor at least said, paint the barn if it needs to be painted. 
Because we had some women that needed their barns painting, but they couldn't wear pants. We had to wear, they had to wear, we, they had to wear dresses. That would be a weird church if the dudes had to wear dresses too. By the way, I like the bishop's nightgown. You know, I kind of wear something like that. So if you ever come at my house at night, you know, be sure. I'm kidding. Oh my gosh. I grew up in a church that showed no grace. And, and I remember we, part of the reason we left the church is because the pastor was calling my brothers out by name from the pulpit. Chuck Washburn is a mild-mannered guy until you mess with his kids. He told that pastor he's going he's gonna to introduce him to Jesus if he didn't stop talking to my, about my brothers from the pulpit. God takes us from the mess that we're in, and he puts us in the place he always wanted us to be. You know where he wants us to be? As his child. My kids have full access to my house. Why? Because they're my children. They have keys to my house. They can come and go as they please. Because they're my kids. And that's how God looks at you and that's how he wants you, um, he wants to treat you as one of his kids. Now, sometimes people who walk in, this, in these doors, because I got to tell you, we, we are a messed up bunch of people. We're not proud of it, we're just honest about it. And, and I just want to tell you kind of what's gone on in the history of the church. Because there's been two or three times that I thought God was going to shut new life down. Because there was sin in the church. And I'm not talking about sin from just people who attend. I don't want to freak you out if this is your first time. Oh my goodness. No, what happened is there was blatant sexual immorality going in, on in some leadership in our church. And, and I remember I was, I was at my brother's house. And uh, I get a phone call from my wife. And I just said, we're done. The Holy Spirit has departed from New Life Community Church. Let's close the doors. We gave it our best shot. And my brother looked at me and he said, he said, dude, how big is your God? Well, big. He said, you really, you really think that God can't handle this? Well, no. Big brothers. He said, do you think this caught God by surprise? I said, no. We're driving in, in Dallas traffic. And he said, what, do you do, what, do you, what should you do? What does the Bible say you should do? So the Bible says we're supposed to go to people one-on-one. Ask them. So I did. I went to all these people and asked them, and they confirmed it. And so we had to remove them from leadership in the church. And then I stood up the next Sunday, and I said, here's what's going on. You need to know, because these were very visible people in our church, and we had to remove them from leadership. And when we talked to them, we said, we love you. We want you to come to our church. We want you to be a part of this. Don't think we're running you off. You just can't be in leadership until you get your life straight. And, and the board came up with this process. Part of the process of what they had to do to be restored was they had to stand up here because they were in leadership, not because they attended our church. They had to stand up here and confess to the church that they had sinned and ask forgiveness. And then over a series of months, they had to demonstrate to us that they were growing in Christ-likeness. And so we even defined that. We said, what is Christ-likeness? When Jesus was asked, what are the two most important um, commands of the Bible? He said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So what we said was, you need to look at your lives. And if you are growing towards Christ, if you're becoming more loving towards God and more loving towards other people, then you're growing. And if you do that over a series of months, we will restore you in this church. And I'm happy to tell you that all of the people eventually stood before the congregation, confessed their sins, asked for forgiveness, And I'm telling you, every time it happened, the congregation stood, because I said, you've got a choice to make now as a congregation. 
whether you're going to accept them back into the fellowship of the church or not, whether you're going to defend their honor or not. And every time the church rose, gave them a standing ovation and rushed the stage as soon as we said amen. And I said, that's a church of grace. And see, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my idea, it was God's idea of how we're supposed to handle conflict, how we're supposed to handle sin in the church. And, and don't anybody think, we never ask guests to say anything in our church. These were church members, these were leaders, and some of you are going, oh no, where's the dough? No, no, no. These were people who knew better. And, and I've even had to have my own son stand up here because of immorality in his life. We had to kick him out of the band. And he stood up in front of the church. So don't think that, that this is just something I take very lightly. He stood up and he confessed and he asked for forgiveness. And, and the reason we do this is because God's Holy Spirit will not dwell in a place where there is deliberate, blatant sin and we just kind of wink at it. Oh, it's no big deal. God's this big grandfather in the sky and he doesn't care what we do. There, there's a real fine line between grace and obedience, and we've got to find that line. My church that I grew up in, it was all about law. It was all about rules. You don't follow the rules, you're going to hell. They would tell you that. And I remember as a kid going, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what Jesus said. So we've tried to build this church as a church of grace to reach people who are far from God, and people who are far from God are messed up. Have you all realized that? Here's what the Bible says. When, when you hear about sin or when somebody wrongs you, here's what Scripture says in Ephesians 4.32. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, you extend grace to them. The Bible says that we didn't deserve the grace that God gave us. We're supposed to receive the grace and then turn around and hand it to others. <laughs> we have to forgive whether someone asks it or not. But when leadership in the church does something look what these look what scripture says in james 3 1 dear brothers and sisters not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged by god with greater strictness being a leader involves trust and it takes a lot of time to build trust it takes a lot longer to rebuild trust why do you think so many people who have been public figures who have fallen sexually christian leaders sometimes they try to come back and take their ministries back and their ministries never do as good as they did before why because there's consequences for sin and so, <laughs> when you hear somebody say, well, the Bible says don't judge. All right, let's just, let's just get this out there real quickly. The Bible says we're not supposed to judge people outside the church. The Bible's very clear we're supposed to judge people inside the church. Now, if there's no judgment in, in the world, how, how is our court system going to work? Because what's the dude behind the bench? What do we call him? His job description is judging. Oh, don't judge. And by the way, people who usually throw that out there are usually in sin and trying to defend their sin. The Bible says, don't judge me. Well, no, the Bible's very clear that we're supposed to be obedient to Christ. If we didn't judge some things, we couldn't have a jury system because how many of you have sat on a jury? The rest of you are dodging it, aren't you? Somebody's going to come knocking on your door someday. I've sat on a jury and what they do is they present evidence and, and I'm supposed to take that evidence and I'm supposed to make the best judgment possible. We do judge, but we got to be careful the way we judge. The way you go to people will determine whether they accept your judgment or not, your opinion or not. 
and I've said this before, but you don't have to tell somebody you love them. Whenever somebody comes up and says, I want you to know I love you, but, that big old but right there just bothers me. Because what comes after the big but is what they really believe. I love you, but you suck in this area. That's not the way to go talk to somebody. You pray about it, you ask God to fill you with the Spirit, and you go to them, and the way you come to them will determine the outcome. It'll determine whether you become closer friends and resolve it, or whether you walk away, and and Satan wins another victory. We've just got to be real careful about what we say and what we do. So these people were eventually restored to new life. And, uh, and I had some people give me a hard time about that. Not in our church. Some other folks, some other religious people didn't think we should let those people back in our church. And, and here's the next thing on your listening guide. Behavior modification is not my job. I heard a pastor say this 15 years ago and it freed me. Because whose job is behavior modification? The Holy Spirit. And, and last I checked, that job was taken by the Holy Spirit. It's not your name. I, and, and I joke with people, but, but I've had somebody come to me and say, you need to do this and this and this. And I said, wow, I didn't know you became the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I'm being a smart aleck. But it gets the point across, Right? I'm not supposed to be the Holy Spirit, but I can, I can come to you in love and, and you'll know by the way I talk to you whether I love you or not. I can't force anyone to do anything. We said from the beginning, we're going to welcome sinners and when sinners come in these doors, there's going to be some stuff that come along with them. When you decide that you're going to be in leadership at New Life, you, you actually raise yourself up to a higher standard than, than people who attend. And I'm not saying you're better than them. I'm saying that you will be held more accountable than people who just... Does this make sense to anyone? Okay. Second thing. First is that grace stuns the recipient. Second is grace gives, gives us God's vision. Oh, I love this. It allows you to see people the way God sees them. Look what Jesus did. In this next passage, John 8, 3 through 11. Then the religion, the religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood, in her, uh, they stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. That means to kill them with big rocks. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. They thought they had him. Jesus bent down and he wrote with his finger in the dirt. And they kept adding, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. And I just think the oldest were like, ooh, I got a lot of sin. I can't throw a stone. The younger ones that were very religious, looking at the older ones, where y'all going? They're like, ooh, if they can't throw a stone, I can't throw a stone. Woman was left alone. Jesus stood and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Check this out. He says, neither do I. What? Neither do I condemn you. Go on your way, but check this out. From now on, don't what? Sin. Oh, he didn't call it an indiscretion. He didn't call it an affair a mistake or a weak moment. He called it sin. 
And that's what we have to do as a church today. Jesus, though, didn't define the woman by her act of adultery. He saw what she could become. He said, let's stop this sin and stuff and become the person that I want you to be. Joe talked about that last week, becoming the person that God wants you to be. Now, only those who have received grace can turn around and offer grace to others. And, and this is where this behavior modification thing comes in for me. Jesus Christ was very secure in his relationship with God the Father. It allowed him to hang out with messy people and not be identified as the sinner. Although religious people did, they called him a glutton, they called him a sinner because he hung out with those people. I want to be so secure in my relationship with God that if a prostitute walks in the door, I'm not judgmental towards her. I see her like Christ does. If a drug addict comes in the door, I see him or her like Christ does. When I visit people in jail, I see them like Christ does. That's getting God's vision. Now, in the movie, Valjean receives grace and it radically transforms his life and he turns around and offers grace to someone else. A dying prostitute, um, he takes, Valjean takes a dying prostitute into his home and nurses her until she dies and then agrees to take her, her child. But I want you to watch the grace. He received grace. He turned around and offered grace to this prostitute. I doubt she'll survive. She, she talks continually about Cosette. Who's that? The daughter. She needs all the will to fight the infection in her lungs. Perhaps if the girl will her. I understand. Thank you, Doctor. You'll need nurses. I can't arrange for them till the morning. What about tonight? I'll take care of her tonight. Keep her body warm and her head cool. You didn't have to fire me. Close it down. I have to get you some tries. It's all right. I've been a charge. I deserve it. But I don't understand why you're being so kind. I was preoccupied. And Cosette has the Father. She has the Lord. 
He was her father. And you're his creation. In his eyes, you've never been anything but an innocent and beautiful woman. One of the greatest lines ever in a movie. She says, I'm a whore. He says, in the eyes of the Lord, you've never been anything but an innocent and beautiful woman. He received grace. It allowed him to look at someone else who was a sinner and see her like God did. It changed him. He saw her as valuable because God did. I see you as valuable because God says you're valuable. Now, here's the last point. We'll finish this up. Grace restores people to where God wants them to be. Ungrace destroys. There's, there's one more scene in the movie that I want you to see, and it demonstrates a grace-impaired person. There's, a, there's an inspector, the guy that you saw in the rock quarries that, that kicked and knocked Valjean down. He's been chasing Valjean ever since he got out of prison. He thinks that once you're a criminal, you're always a qu- criminal. You'll never change. He is the picture of ungrace. He is grace-impaired. And, and you run into grace-impaired people all the time. They don't understand what grace is. And I call those EGRs, extra grace required. You have to have extra grace just to be in the room with them. You know what that's like, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. Those are coming. EGR people. Now, in in the movie, twice Valjean has had the opportunity to kill the inspector, and he chose not to. Here at the end of the movie, the inspector has the opportunity to kill Valjean. Watch this. Bring him here. That is an important memo for the prefect. We'll explain what I've done with the prisoner. Make sure he sees it before breakfast. Sir. I'm glad I had time to myself. I needed to think about what you deserve. You're a difficult problem. Move to the edge. Why aren't you taking me in? You're my prisoner. Do what I tell you. You don't understand the importance of the law. I've given you an order. Obey it. Why didn't you kill me? I don't have the right to kill you. But you hate me. I don't hate you. I don't feel anything. You don't want to go back to the quarries, do you? Then for once we agree. I'm going to spare you from a life in prison, Jean Valjean. It's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful.
three. strange thing is he said he tried to live his life without breaking a single rule and earlier he said it's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful then operate by different rules because the rules that Jesus Christ established said I give you grace and you don't deserve it you're supposed to turn around and offer grace to someone else churches are filled with grace impaired people and that's why churches are not filled make sense Have you ever noticed that the worst of sinners were drawn to Jesus Christ wherever he went? How come that's not true of the people who say they follow him? We will be a church that dispenses grace if it kills us all. Would you bow your heads? In just a minute, I'm going to have you fill out your registration cards. We'll wrap this up real quickly. But I want you to think about these things. You can't fully understand grace until you receive it. And God offered it through Jesus Christ on the cross. And he said, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the first thing you need to understand is grace. And I'm going to ask you to, to ask yourself, do you understand grace Second thing is, it's a gift, and if you don't receive it and appropriate it, then it does you no good. So the second question is, have you received grace? Have you applied what Jesus Christ did on the cross to your life? Now the third thing I want you to think about is, there is someone in your your world who is eaten up with rules, who's eaten up with religion, who's eaten up with bitterness, hatred, judgment, and they need grace. And I'm going to ask you to write on the back of your card, someone that's in your life that you will extend grace to in some way. You don't even have to know what that is, but you say, I will extend grace to whoever that is that God fills in the blank this week, and I'm going to ask you to do that. If you come to small group tonight, you're going to get to talk a lot more about this, and we're going to try to put some action steps into grace. We want to be a church that's known for grace. Father, I pray that you change lives through the grace of Jesus Christ, the sheer generosity that you offered. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.